We're in a series, for those of you that are new, we're in a series, I think it's four, uh, week four in a series of six, we're simply calling love as a verb, and we're working our way through the, the, the primary definition chapter of the scriptures on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We started with an overview, kind of discovered that love is not an emotion like most people would tell you. Oh, it, it produces emotions, it produces oceans of emotions, but at the end of the day, it's not just an emotion, it's not just a feeling, it is in fact an action, it is a choice, it's a commitment that we make. It is the commitment to give people what they need, not what they deserve. And so what we're doing week by week through the series is we're simply looking at 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verses 4 through 7, to get a handle on what some of those action steps actually are. And week by week, we're looking at one of those action steps. For those of you that might have missed it, you can get the manuscript for all of those sermons at info at bridgechurch.cc. Request the Goldsboro campus when you uh, email them, or you can request Princeton or Mount Olive uh, because all of the messages are, are on the same topic, but each of us have the privilege to build our own messages. You can get them all if you want to. And if you want to follow along today for the outline, just go to the Bible app and look for the Goldsboro campus of the bridge and the outline. All the scriptures we'll be looking at today, the, the main points we'll be looking at today are right there in the Bible app uh, on your smartphone, your iPad, whatever uh, 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 thing you have uh, to do that with, okay? So just go to events and check that out, okay? One more thing quickly before we get into it. Ownership is a week from today. If you haven't done ownership yet, be sure that you text to the numbers around here somewhere. There it is. The number is 72345. Just text the word ownership to that, and we'll get the details to you. I'd love to have you next Sunday after service, uh, 1230-ish. We'll feed you lunch. We'll take care of your kids. We won't keep you very long. Uh, and, uh, but we'll talk about what does it mean to be an owner in this house? What, what's the difference between being uh, an, an attender versus an owner? What does that mean? And quite frankly, some of you have been here for a long time. Maybe you already are owners. You might want to check it out. Just come and be with us. Just be sure to text to that number to let us know so we can prep lunch and child care for you. Okay? You ready to get into it today? You want, we can chat some more if you want to. <laughs> what's our phrase for today? You want to guess? It is love is not rude. Simply put, let's start by being clear. What does the word rude mean? In a word, it means selfish. In a word, it means I don't really care what you think or how you're going to react to what I'm doing. I want to do what I want to do. I want to say what I want to say. I want to say it the way I want to say it. Any rude people in your life? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Come on. It's a reality uh, that we all have to struggle with at one time or another, but God says that is no way to live. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Show proper respect to who? Uh, who? To people more important than you. That, is that what it said? To people who have more money than you. To people that are better looking than you. To people who have the power to fire you. It's yes to all of those. But it's also to people that are perceived less than you. Show proper respect to, come on, everyone. Everyone? i got to show proper respect to my kids? Proper respect to, uh, you got to show proper respect to your husband when he's being a jerk? i got to show proper respect to my mother-in-law? Really? How about an atheist? How about a politician? How about the president? Who? Everybody. Today we're going to get real practical by simply talking about how do we show and, quite frankly, get 
respect. But before we get into that practical dynamic, let's talk about why we should do it. For me, I love to know what I'm supposed to do, but it helps me to know why I'm supposed to do it because the what can be hard sometimes. And if I understand why I'm doing it, it makes it a little easier to stick to the what. Is that true? Is that, is that true? I mean, if I start a diet, do diets get hard? Yeah, but if I remember why I'm dieting, it'll help me to stay on it, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about why we're called to show respect to everyone, and then we'll get into the how-tos this morning as well. And we'll do it all in time for you to get to the restaurant before the Baptists get there, so don't worry, okay? Maybe. Number one, we res show respect to everyone because, say it with me, God made everyone. Psalm 8, verse 5, God made, you made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. That says that God created all kinds of beings, angels and animals, but, but just a, the, the crowning achievement of his creation is me and you, and he does have favorites. And who are his favorites in all of his creation? Look at somebody say us. We are his favorites. But hear me, he does not play favorites among us. We do. He doesn't. The Bible says that God is no respecter of person, that God's favor is available to everybody. Now let me ask you a question. Do we live in a culture that treats everybody the same? No, we don't, do we? Can I tell you it's one of the things I love about the bridge? I mean, Kim and I have been here, what, a year, year and a half, and been on staff for less than a year, and, and just getting to know people and learn the dynamics of this place. And one of the things that I fell in love with, both of us did very quickly uh, in, in becoming a part of this place, is we've got everything from bikers to bankers and everything from, from uh, uh, prosecutors to prisoners and, you know, just everything you can think of, people that have money, people that have no money, people yeah, from uh, highly educated, no education. I mean, uh, can you tell the difference? No. Does it matter? No, because at the end of the day, uh, God loves everybody that he made. But that's not how it is everywhere. You let that information get out in some places, and uh, it makes a huge difference. God says, that's not his way. They are all mine. So show respect to everybody because God made everybody. Second reason, we respect everybody because Jesus invites everybody to be in his family. Now, let's be clear. Uh, every person ever born is part of God's creation, and he loves them. But not everybody is part of God's family. We are part of God's creation by birth. We become part of his children by choice. Understand the difference. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how many of you have ever sinned? God bless that hand. I see that hand. The rest of you are sinning right now because you're lying in church. I mean, how, how long did it take your children, if you have kids, how long did it take them to demonstrate selfishness? A day? A week? Come on, how long did it take them to mistreat their brother or their sister? I mean, it's just reality. We're born with a sin nature. And so we may have inherited that from Adam and Eve, but it ain't long before we're complicit in it. We jump right in. And what are the wages of sin? Death. We have earned death because of what we have done and failed to do in our lives. But here's the good news. The gift of God is 
Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on today? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me, guys. Our God is a holy God. He's a just God. He loves us supremely. But if somebody does the crime, somebody's got to do the time. And Jesus stepped up and said, I'll do the time for everybody. I'll pay the price for everybody's sin. I'll take on the death that constitutes a, an appropriate price for everybody that's ever sinned. So the only question is, who gets that free gift? Who gets that free gift of life? Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Come, says the Spirit and the bride. Whoever hears, come. Is anyone thirsty? Come. All who will, come and drink. Drink freely of the water of life. Who gets the invitation? Everybody does. Why should we respect everybody? Because God made everybody, and everybody has the potential to be part of his family. Hear that. God made everybody, and everybody has the potential to be part of his family. Well, you haven't met my uncle. You haven't met my next-door neighbor. You haven't met my coworker. You know what? Those people that are acting out the biggest are often the people that are closest to coming to Jesus Christ. They're fighting against it. But everybody at the end of the day is invited. Now, here's the question. If that's how treat Jesus treats everybody, and we are followers of Jesus Christ, how should we be treating everybody? Same way. Even if we disagree with them? Yeah. Even if it's hard to like them? Yeah. Even if we don't approve of their life choices? Yeah. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got it all right to start loving us. He didn't wait till we got it all right to start inviting us. He said, I invite you just the way you are right now. You are welcome. While we're still thumbing our noses at him, he's saying, come, come, come. If you're thirsty, I can give you something to drink that will last for all eternity. We should treat everyone with respect because God made everyone and because Jesus invites everyone to be a part of the family. Is this making sense? The third reason we respect everyone is because it shows ultimately that we love God. How do you, how do you know that you're really a believer? How do you know that you're really a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it just a matter of, of I've decided that in fact Jesus is the Son of God? Is it just a matter of I've, just, I've decided that Jesus is the Messiah? Is it a matter of beliefs? Certainly that's a part of it. Certainly that's huge. But you know what the Bible says? One of the primary ways to know that you've stepped across the line and become a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, is to look at your relationships. It's not just how you believe, it's how you behave. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, if a person isn't loving and kind, it shows what? He doesn't know God, for God is love. Hear me, the Bible says that Jesus came for a host of reasons, primarily to redeem us back to the Father, but he also came to reveal God's true nature to us. God wanted us to know him and to see him. And so when you study Jesus' life, you see the character of God. How did Jesus treat the people that he encountered? If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how did he treat those people? He treated every one of them with respect. 
He preserved every one of them, their, their dignities. He was gracious to all of them. The classic example, of course, is the woman who was caught in adultery and, and the religious leaders of the day that caught her, drug her into the market square and, and shouted for everybody to hear that she was a sinner, an adulterer, and they threw her down on the ground and they looked at Jesus and tried to trap him and said, here's what the law says we should do for, for her. We ought to stone her. What do you say? Jesus didn't say a word. He not only preserved her dignity, he preserved those religious hypocrites' dignity. What he did was he got down on one knee and started writing in the sand. We don't know exactly what he wrote in the sand. Some scholars say that he started listing sins. What I know is that as he wrote, they one by one started to leave. I heard a preacher say the other day uh, that... Uh, he thinks what Jesus did was to start writing down the names of their mistresses. Mary, Sarah. <laughs> I don't know. But whatever it was, he didn't dishonor their person by shouting it out. He wrote it in the sand. And as they saw it, they decided to leave. And then what did he do when he looked at the woman? Some of you know. He looked at her and said, where are your accusers? And she said, well, there, there's none here. He said, well, I don't condemn you either. And then he dealt with her sin. You do need to change. It's not okay. It's ultimately dysfunctional and brings death. But he treated her with dignity as a person. In fact, that's how Jesus treated everybody. Look at his life again. Read the Gospels. He, he dealt with prostitutes and lepers and IRS agents. And <laughs> I love the way the Bible talks about tax collectors. If you're a tax collector, I apologize in advance for the disrespect that I'm showing you. But Jesus treated them all with respect. He even sat down and ate with them, which is the highest form of acceptance to go to somebody's house and sit down and eat with them. And those religious leaders couldn't handle that either. They called him a wine-bibber and a party animal. Didn't change his approach to people. So again, if that's how Jesus treated people, and if Jesus Christ is really in me, if I'm striving to be like Christ, doesn't it follow that that's how I'm going to treat people? All I'm saying is, I've got to move on, but I, I, here's what I'm saying. By all means, get your beliefs right. By all means, study the Word of God. Get your doctrine right. Get your theology right. By all means, get that stuff as right as you can get it. But hear me, lean in. You may want to tweet this one. If you're right but you're rude, you're wrong. If you're right but you're rude, you're wrong. Because the Bible says love is not rude, and he who doesn't have love doesn't know In case you're thinking, well, I'd love to show people that kind of respect, but nobody shows me that kind of respect, so I just don't have any respect to give. Then you need the fourth reason why we show everyone respect. We respect everyone because we get back what we give. Do you, you know the law of the harvest? You know that one? The law of the harvest, it's a universal principle. You don't have to be a follower of Christ for this to be true. You can be a farmer far from God. The law of the harvest still trues, uh, is still true. And what does the law of the harvest say? You reap what you sow. You put corn seed in the ground. What do you get? You get rice plants, right? No, that's ridiculous. You put corn in the ground, you get corn. That's what happens. And you get more corn than you put in the ground. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants... He will harvest. You know what that says to me? 
Whatever I need to get, I should give some away. Can you imagine a farmer saying, uh, I, you know, my family is starving, we're living on the edge of starvation, but all I have is these few grains, uh, and so we're going to eat them till we die because I can't risk putting them in the ground. Uh, I might not get a harvest, therefore I'm just going to hold on to them until we all starve to death. Can you imagine a farmer doing that? No, he's going to take what seeds he's got. He's going to put it in the ground because he knows the law of the harvest is true and he'll produce a harvest that will feed his family until the next year when it's time for another harvest. So that says to me that if I need more respect from others, how do I get it? By being more respectful toward others. If I need to be treated graciously by others, then how do I get it? By being gracious toward people. If I need people to smile at me, how do I get them to do it? I smile. Have you ever tried that? You know, walking down the street or maybe in the mall or something like that, and you just kind of start catching people's eyes and smiling at them real big. Just try that sometime and watch what people do. It freaks them out. And then get down to the other end of the aisle, have the other end of the hall, having done that all the way down, get down to the other end and just stop and turn around. And you know what I guarantee you, you will see? You will see people smiling at each other because there's something contagious about a smile. What you give is what you ultimately get. So if you want people to be rude to you, go for it. But have you ever noticed that courtesy and good manners makes life easier? That courteous people are happy people and rude people are miserable people? There's a reason you get what you give. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. A kind person is doing himself, himself, who? Himself, a favor. But a cruel person brings trouble on himself. Why do we respect everybody? Because God made everybody. Because Jesus invites everybody to be in his family. Because it ultimately shows that I am, in fact, a follower of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the day, if I need more, I give more. Because it is in giving that I ultimately get the respect that I need. So let's shift gears, okay? Let's get real practical this morning. And let's talk about this issue of respect and how to give it. Knowing that we'll get it back. But let's talk about how we can give respect in real practical kinds of ways. I've, I've thought of four. We could come up with a dozen, no doubt. But I've thought of four that I thought might be meaningful to us in, in all of our various areas of life, whether it's work or, or in the town or in our home or wherever it is. I thought of four that we might want to work on as we kind of learn how to, to live out this action step of love is not rude. Number one, when you speak to people, be tactful, not just truthful. Now, I start with speaking because, quite frankly, that's, that's, uh, that's the way we demonstrate rudeness more than any other way. Can I get an amen in the house? It's amazing how we talk to people, especially those we love the most sometimes. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, as a tree gives us fruit, healing words give us life, but evil words crush the spirit. What's the, what's the key phrase, the key word phrase in that passage? Healing words give us life. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and we'll talk about it more as the series goes on. But here's what I think healing words are. They're not just what you say. They are the way you say them. In fact, in some ways, it's more important the way you say it 
than what you said. Does that make sense? I mean, if I say to you, I'm not mad, then what have I just communicated? Don't be upset because I'm not upset, right? If I say to you, well, I'm not mad, now what have I communicated? Well, I probably am a little bit upset, but we're going to get over it, right? If I say to you, I'm not mad, what did I just say? You better back up because I might blow any second, right? Now, I said the same words every time, but the way I said it conveyed a totally different meaning. If we want to speak healing words and thereby give life, we have to learn to be tactful in the way we say the truth. The Bible says Jesus came in grace and truth. Somebody said the more you use tact, the less you have to retract. <laughs> All I'm saying is that loving people stop and think before they speak, and not just what they're going to say, but the way they're going to say it. Disrespectful people, on the other hand, often have this deep abdominal disease. I call it diarrhea of the mouth and constipation of the brain. That one took a minute for you to get, didn't it? Found some definitions of tact that I thought might be interesting for us, so let me just share some with you, okay? Tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. What do you think? Somebody said uh, tact is the ability to tell someone to jump off a cliff in a way they look forward to the journey. A little better, okay. Tact is the art of telling someone he's open-minded when in fact he just has a hole in his head. You like that one, didn't you? Here's perhaps one of my favorites, though. Tact is the art of changing the subject without changing your mind. Let's be honest, guys. Sometimes we interact with people, and I've got an opinion, and they've got an opinion, and we're, we're not going to change each other's opinions. We need to lovingly just change the subject and find those common grounds that we relate about. The Bible defines tact in this way, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, when you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need. Words that will help others to become stronger. That's tact. Thinking about what you're going to say, thinking about the way you're going to say it, and asking yourself the question, why am I saying this? And why am I saying it this way? You ever met somebody who's proud of how rude they are? You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, I'm just one of them people that just calls it like it is, you know, and just a So You just always know, let the chips fall where they may. Let me tell you what, if that's who you are, you need to understand. You are not communicating that you're honest. You're communicating that you don't really care about the person you're talking with. And the Bible says rudeness is not loving so again before you're blunt before you're candid before you just blast it out there before you verbally regurgitate on them ask yourself what's going to be the end result of what i'm about to say will it help this person to become stronger or will it just make me feel better will this build up or damage my relationship with this person when you speak be tactful not just truthful the old saying sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me simply isn't true 
fact of the matter is bones heal. Words carry pain for a lifetime sometimes. They have a long-term effect. When you speak to people, be tactful, not just truthful. Got it? Got it? Do I need to explain it some more? Number two, when you're served by people, be understanding, not demanding. Do you like it when people are demanding of you? Do you? Come on, guys. I don't know where you are today, but I need feedback. I need you to talk to me. We'll be here all day, me explaining it to you, okay? Do you like it when people are demanding of you? No, we don't. Then, then don't be demanding of others. I mean, it's that simple. Luke 6, 31, do unto others as they would, you would have them do to you. The, the question is that you need to ask yourself is, is how do you treat the people that serve you? I mean, if you're in a restaurant and, and you're dealing with a waiter, how do you treat that waiter? Our youngest son, Zach, was in the restaurant biz for a while, and, and, and he said that the number one thing he learned when he first started working in the restaurant world was that they dreaded the Sunday church crowd. They were often the meanest and the worst tippers in the bunch. What message are you sending? How do you treat the person of the fast food drive through when you can't understand what they're saying over the microphone? Or when they try to sell you an apple pie you don't want. How do, you, how do you treat those people? How do you treat a telemarketer when they call during dinner? Ask yourself, how do I treat those people? And can I tell you what I've learned? I've learned that the secret to great service from anybody is to treat them with respect. To consider their feelings. That, it's really that simple. I mean, if you're dealing with a waitress who's had a, a really tough day, that, uh, she's had 15 rude customers in a row, and you go in and start demanding your rights, what do you think she's going to do for you besides spit in your food on the way out of the kitchen? Come on. This is reality. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 21, a wise person is known for his understanding. He wins people to his side with pleasant words. Pastor Jim paraphrase, I am never persuasive when I am abrasive. I am never persuasive when I am abrasive. Say it with me. I am never persuasive when I am abrasive. What if, what if you went into a restaurant and when the waiter walked up to your table and said, hi, my name is Tyler and I'm going to be your server today, you actually looked him in the eye and say, I'm sorry, could you repeat your name for me? I didn't catch it. Oh, Tyler. Well, it's nice to meet you, Tyler. I appreciate your service today. In the course of the, of the time together, look him in the eye every time and call him by name every time. When you finally put your order in, say, you know what, Tyler? We're, we're going to pray over our food in just a minute. Would it be all right if we pray for you in some way? Is there something we could pray for you? Can I tell you that I've never had a waiter or a waitress turn me down on that one? I've had a few sit down to the table and say, yes, here's what's going on in my life. Would you pray with me now? Truth of the matter is, when we look people in the eye, call them by name, treat them with respect, not only are, are they built up and they stronger, but you ultimately get better service too. And both, by the way, the best place to practice this is at home. So often we're more polite to strangers than we are our own families. 
figured out yet that rudeness can kill a marriage? <laughs> Ran across this the other day, thought it was cute, thought you might relate to it. Um, for your friends, not for you, of course, but it's called the five stages of a married cold. In the first year of marriage, your spouse has a, a cough. The response is, baby, darling, I'm worried about that sniffle. I, I called 911. We're going to take you to the hospital so you can get a checkup and, and some rest. And, and you don't like hospital food, I'll have, I'll have your meals catered for you. That's year one. Year two, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called the doctor and I convinced her to make a, a house call. Let me just tuck you into bed. Year three, hey, you, looks like you got a fever. Might need to drive yourself to immediate care. Don't worry about dinner. I'll take the kids out. Year four, look, be sensible. After you've bathed the kids and cleaned up the kitchen, you probably ought to go to bed for a while. Year 10, for Pete's sake, would you stop? Coughing, I can't hear the TV. Why don't you go cough in the kitchen for a while? And oh, by the way, while you're in there, fix me something. Somebody said, when I first got married, my wife brought me my slippers, and my dog barked, and now it's the other way around. <laughs> Two lovers walked down the street. She tripped. He murmured, careful, sweet. Now married, they walk down the very same street, but when she trips now, it's pick up your feet. When you speak to people, be tactful, not just truthful. When you're served, be understanding, not demanding. Number three, when you disagree with people, be gentle, not judgmental. Can we just be real honest here? I'm going to, whether you give me permission or not. It's just nice to do that. Maybe I'm going to tell you how old I am, and maybe you'll kind of figure that I'm old school or that, that I believe the Bible is the final authority in my life. But, but there's a lot of stuff going on these days that I just disagree with. A anybody here? There's a lot of stuff that I just think is wrong. I just think it's, it, it's become the norm. It's become natural, but it, it just ain't. The Bible says it ain't good. It ain't right. It's ultimately dysfunctional. It ultimately uh, brings death. And, and so I just don't feel good about it. The question is, what should I do about it? I mean, should I run around like a spiritual cop arresting all them sinners? Oh, I know. I will argue with them on Facebook until they finally submit to my wisdom. That's the one. Here's how the Bible answers that question. Romans chapter 12, verse 14, or 14, verse 12 and 13, I should say. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in your brother's way. Let me break that down. What does it say? It says when you disagree with somebody, first and foremost, each one of us We'll give an account to God for what we're doing or not doing. Number two, I am not God. They don't have to give an account to me. Number three, my job is what? To make up my mind not to put a stumbling block in their way. My job is to provide a path 
to life for them to follow, not a roadblock for them to overcome. And that's not just true with people that are far from God. Do Christians ever disagree with each other? Yeah, it happens all the time, of course. Can you disagree with one another on issues without being disagreeable? If we show respect, we can, and we will. In fact, there's a, one of the sad states of modern Christianity is that there are publishing houses, Christian publishing houses, and Christian teachers and preachers on radio and online and on TV and all kinds of places that they've built their entire ministry around telling you who's wrong in the body of Christ and why they're wrong. Can I tell you that the world is laughing at us while we attack each other? That's not how Paul said to deal with it. He said, they're preaching Jesus, leave them alone. God will take care of their motives at the end of the day. When Kim and I were in the Philippines as missionaries during the 80s, there was one particular place that, that I went quite often. We planted a bunch of churches in that region and ultimately a Bible college there. And, uh, and there, was a, there was a missionary there. I won't say what denomination he was from, but... Um, he, every time I came to town, he heard I was in town, he would come to me, and he had this whole litany, this long list of issues that he knew his denomination took a different stand than mine did, and he just wanted to argue. So he would come, and you know, during our downtimes, we'd spend an hour or two or three arguing about stuff, most of which did not have any eternal significance whatsoever. It was just his preferences over mine. One day I came to town, he said, tell you what, Jim, I, I think what we need to do is we need to take this to the town. We need to have a public debate in the town square. And here's what I said to him. Tell you what, you debate with yourself. I'm going to preach the gospel over and over and over again. And eventually we'll look back and see which one of us did the most for the kingdom of God. I ain't got time. All I know is I look back on it now. He lasted for a few years. The town finally ran him out of town because they didn't want anything to do with him. We planted 67 churches in a Bible college. At the end of the day, God blesses integrity. James chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, where jealousy and selfishness are, there will be confusion and every kind of evil. But the wisdom that comes from God is first of all pure, then peaceful. Come on, read it with me. Gentle and ready to help those who are troubled and to do good for others. It is always fair and honest. That says to me that loving wisdom is not argumentative. It is not destructive. It is pleasantly persuasive. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, 16. If anyone asks you why you believe as you do, be ready to tell him. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. It amazes me how so many Christians can take the positive message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and turn it into a negative message and hit people over the head with it. Well, it's like, I'm good and you're bad. I'm saved and you're not. I'm up and you're down. I like Billy Graham's definition far better than that. He said, you know what? At the end of the day, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Because you know what, guys? 
regardless of where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you're not even sure that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you've had an intimate relationship with Him for 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. Wherever you are in your journey, at the end of the day, every person on the planet, including you and me, got up this morning with one thing in common. We all desperately need Jesus. And again, it's one of those things that I love about our church. We're all just ordinary people from every walk of life and from all over the country and the world. We've just come together to find answers in the Word of God to the questions that life has us asking, and we're discovering that Jesus is the answer. He is the solution. And then we're committed to telling anybody who will listen that we found bread they can find bread too. Somebody said it this way, when Jesus said, let your light shine, he did not mean light a blowtorch. When you speak to people, be tactful, not just truthful. When you're served, be understanding, not demanding. When you disagree with people, be gentle, not judgmental. And the bottom line, number four, is when people are rude to you, Respond with kindness. Again, can I be just totally transparent with you? When somebody's rude to me, everything in me wants to be ruder back. Come on. Everything in me wants to go defensive. Everything in me wants to counterattack. Everything in me wants to say, how dare you speak to me that way? Don't you know who I am? I mean, everything in me wants to just blast away back. And I have to, rem I have to remind myself that that's not who I am in Christ. And that's not how God calls me. Hey, I have to remind myself that love is not rude. Here's how Paul wrote it, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 21. Do not repay evil for evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. And oh, by the way, remember that after the service when the crowds are trying to get their kids out at the same time, you're trying to get your kids out of kids' church. Okay. I got to close, but here's, here, here's my simple challenge for us today. Am I telling you not to take a stand for the truth? Did you hear me say that? Absolutely not. And if that's what you heard, then hear me. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Nobody's suggesting we not take a stand for the truth. I'm suggesting that we make sure that when we take our stands, we do them in a loving Jesus Christ kind of way. I believe that the body of Christ has got to wage war against rudeness or we're going to see our culture get wussa and wussa and wussa. We're ripe for a decade of rudeness with all the tensions and stresses and fears that are going on in our world. And I want, I want desperately for us, for our church to be known as that place where you find kindness and you find love and you find respect, you find truth spoken in ways that build one another up. And let me just say quickly, and I'll close, start that at home, then take it to work, in school, bring it to church, take it to the world. You heard about the little girl saying her prayers, saying, Lord, so far today, I haven't lied or gossiped 
or snapped at anyone. But I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes, and I'm going to need some help. <laughs> We're going to need some help. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, the challenge is practical, it's real, it's hard. So we realize the only way that we're actually going to implement these truths into our lives is if we look to the source of love and kindness. We pray simply, Jesus, that you would pour your healing words on us. Pour your love on us. Maybe you want to join me in this prayer, guys, in your own words, silent or out loud. Maybe pray it this way. Jesus, forgive me for the times I've got this wrong. Forgive me for the times that I got it wrong and felt justified in doing it. Help me to treat everybody the way you treat everybody. Make up the difference between what I'm capable of and what your word calls on me to do. And one day I'll look back on my life and I'll say, wow, look what God did with my one and only life. Father, you know who's praying, you know every relationship that's represented in this room. I do pray that your Holy Spirit would overshadow them and your love would fill them up, accomplish great things through us, and in the process, give us the blessings of receiving what we have given away. In Jesus' name.